You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, Episode 4. Today's Tidbit Tuesday was inspired by two of our listener questions that both relate to a heavily debated topic in photography around photo manipulation. Specifically, whether it is okay to add or remove objects in a scene to improve the composition, and whether it is okay to use advanced post-processing techniques to change the end result in some way, such as with compositing. So is it art? Is it ethical? And does that even matter? We're going to dive into this debate today, so buckle up and stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hey everyone, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Today, we are talking about photo manipulation and its use in nature and landscape photography. And I've decided it was an important enough topic to dedicate a full episode to it rather than just give a quick tip today and answer our listener questions. But before we dive in, I do want to take a moment to thank everyone who has subscribed, followed, or shared the podcast and thank those of you who have taken the time to rate and review it as well. It means so much to me to see how the podcast has already had a positive impact and is reaching so many people and I'm blown away and so grateful. So thank you. So now let's listen to our two listener questions, which prompted the topic for today's discussion. First, let's hear from Paul and then we'll hear from Hank. Hi, Brenda. It's Paul from Latham. My best friend is a better photographer than me. And um, it's come up recently. One thing he likes to get all the, quote, distracting elements out of the frame. And often he does that in post-processing, but sometimes in the field, he he will remove things from the scene, dead flowers and stuff like that. And um, to me, that seems just wrong. Um, nature is messy, and I think that it's wrong to alter the landscape just in the search for a good um, picture. Anyway, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks a lot. So with all the updates and photo editing software, you could change the sky in a couple of clicks. My question is, just because you can, should you? And if you do, should you call it your image? That, that's a question I am concerned about. Thank you, Paul and Hank, so much for these really thought-provoking questions. These are questions that many photographers today grapple with. And so I hope my attempts in answering them will provide good food for thought and also spark some interesting discussions. If anyone listening would like to share your thoughts on today's episode, I put a comments section at the bottom of the show notes, which you can find at outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash episode four. And I invite you to share your thoughts there. I just ask that you keep it kind and respectful, as I'm sure we'll have varying opinions and might not agree with each other. And that's okay. We can disagree without being adversarial. And I'd also like to add that my personal views, thoughts, and perspectives that I'll share with you today will likely continue to evolve over time as I develop my own skills 
as a photographer and as an artist. So they're not set in stone. As I was doing research on this and examining my own opinions, I was surprised to discover that this debate over the ethics of manipulating or altering a scene or an image in some way is not limited to the advent of digital technology. It actually has been going on since the invention of daguerreotype photography back in the 1830s, when the ability to project an image like with a pinhole camera and the ability to record that projected image onto a medium and make a photograph was invented by Joseph Nisipornips and Louis Daguerre, and then the invention of the first negative by Henry Fox Talbot. Because photography required a lot of technical skill and knowledge of chemistry and optics, many people considered photography more of a science than an art. Prior to photography, painting was the main method to visually record people, landscapes, or events, and there was room for and an acceptance of the painter's interpretation in these creations. However, because photography could more accurately recreate a scene or a portrait than a painting could, it quickly became a means by which to factually record the physical world, and it began to replace painting as a medium serving that purpose. And given its more objective approach, it was not really considered a means of artistic expression by the viewing public. And yet, as early as the 1840s, as the tools and processes of photography improved, we start to see a divergence between those who wanted to use photography to produce unaltered, realistic representations of people, places, or things, and others who wanted to use the new medium to create more painterly images that were posed and orchestrated. By the mid-1800s, elaborate photo montages were being created, most notably from Oscar Rylander, whose work consisted of exposing several negatives to create a single image. In fact, one of his most famous images, titled Two Ways of Life, used 32 different negatives to create the story he wanted to tell within a single image. So we see that the concept of photo manipulation and using processes similar to compositing today is nothing new to the field of photography. This movement of using photography as a form of artistic expression, similar to painting, became known as pictorialism, a movement that was led by Henry Peach Robinson, who wrote that, quote, any dodge, trick, and conjuration of any kind is open to the photographer's use, unquote. In this way, manipulating the image to incorporate the artist's vision, message, or expression beyond the technical recording of the subject was prioritized by the pictorialist photographer. So when we look at these early days of photography, we clearly see these two camps of how to approach this new technology. Some wanted to use photography as a means to accurately record a subject, and others wanted to use it as a way of artistic self-expression. And this is all well and good to each his own, right? But were there any unintended consequences of this divergence, say, on how the viewing public perceived or interpreted images. Well, around this time, a type of photography known as spirit photography became popularized, which consisted of making images containing ghost-like figures, which was usually achieved by doing a double exposure or having someone wearing a flowy white garment come into the frame for only a handful of seconds of, say, a 30-second exposure. Because the general public largely didn't understand the photographic process and how such images could be made, many people started to believe these images were actual reflections of reality and that these ghosts were real. And when the truth was revealed, many of these photographers were then labeled as frauds. 
It was around this time that the ethics of photo manipulation and whether or not manipulated images should be identified as such started to be considered. Pictorialism became popularized in the early 1900s in the U.S. by Alfred Stieglitz and Edward Steichend and others. And this movement was credited as putting photography on the map as an art form in the eyes of preeminent American galleries and not just considered merely a process of recording. Manipulations of the time consisted of a variety of techniques that altered either or both the negative and final print, including manipulating exposures through dodging and burning, using multiple exposures of a single negative, scratching or tearing the negative, combination printing of multiple negatives, and using various materials and substances to improve the tonality or introduce color and texture and give a more painterly or impressionistic effect. By the 1930s, photographers who opposed pictorialism and wanted to maintain a more realistic approach to photography as an accurate representation of a subject pushed for a new movement in photography, which became known as modernism or straight photography. And this was spearheaded by a group of 11 photographers known as Group F64, which included famous landscape photographers like Ansel Adams and Edward Weston. In fact, Group F64's manifesto stated that, quote, the group will show no work at any time that does not conform to its standards of pure photography. Pure photography is defined as possessing no qualities of technique, composition, or idea derivative of any other art form. The production of the pictorialist, on the other hand, indicates a devotion to principles of art which are directly related to painting and the graphic arts, unquote. So Group F64 wanted to separate themselves from the pictorialist photographers by prioritizing the creation of images that were decidedly not painterly in nature, with an emphasis on sharp images and deep depth of field. But as we know from Ansel Adams' work, the modernist photographers weren't absolute purists in the sense that they did accept some level of image editing, whether that was through the use of colored filters to bring out different tonal intensities of panchromatic black and white film, or to use intricate darkroom techniques of dodging and burning to emphasize contrast and details of an image. Even though Ansel was a proponent of the concept of pre-visualization and getting the exposure and composition, quote unquote, right in camera, he said that, quote, the negative is comparable to the composer's score and the print to its performance, unquote which suggests that he considered darkroom processing a major contributor to the final impact of the image and something he took into consideration as part of his pre-visualization technique. So this begs the question, was the approach of Group F64 considered photo manipulation on some level or simply photo editing? And is there a difference or a line that can be drawn between the two? Is one more acceptable than the other? And if so, why? Well, as time went on, it turns out this line was even blurry for National Geographic. On the cover of their February 1982 issue was an image of the pyramids with three camel riders in front. The photograph was actually shot in landscape form. So it was cropped and then altered in such a way so that two of the pyramids peaks could fit together into the aspect ratio of the cover. Now, this didn't change the core essence of the image or even its interpretation. It was done just to fit the aspect ratio of the cover. But once discovered that this was done, the public was outraged to the point that National Geographic declared it would never alter or accept altered images again. And I'll note, Photoshop was not yet invented at this time. Photoshop came into the picture in the late 1980s. 
In the early 1990s, another debacle came to light when it was discovered that Art Wolf, who is a renowned photographer and conservationist, published a book called Migrations, and around one third of the images were digitally manipulated. And these were not just simple edits, but cloning of animals to make herds appear bigger in number and more uniform in pattern, for example. And at the time, adventurer photographer Galen Rao heavily criticized art for this. And yet Galen later admitted to altering the image he used on the cover of his book called Mountain Light so that the clouds and mountains fit into the aspect ratio of the book, much like how Nat Geo did with the pyramids. Because Galen's changes didn't alter the core essence of the image on the cover of his book, he found this to be an acceptable edit, whereas National Geographic changed their practices altogether. And Art didn't feel that he was deceiving the viewing public in his book Migrations because he claimed the book to be an art book without the intention of it being documentary. He did agree that the manipulated images should have been identified as such, and he now identifies all of his manipulated images. So as we can see, throughout the history of photography, there has never been a consensus among photographers about what is considered the primary purpose of photography. Is it a self-expressive art form or is it a recording method? And there never has been an agreement about where the line is between photo editing and photo manipulation. So back to Paul and Hank's questions of is it okay to remove objects from a scene to get rid of some of the inherent messiness of nature and Reciprocally, I would add, is it okay to add something to the scene that wouldn't naturally have been there? And in terms of editing and manipulating, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And I don't think there is a single answer to these questions. But I do think that determining this for yourself and your photography comes down to three things, intent, expectation, and consequences. So what is the intent of your photograph? Why are you making the image and what purpose does it serve? Is it to express something, to share your experience of nature, to capture a fleeting moment, to learn a new technique, or even to push the limits of your creativity? Is it a piece of artwork you hope to sell or an educational piece used to protect an endangered species? Or are you working for a commercial client who has their own requirements for the image? So I think the approach you take on the scale of photo editing and photo manipulation matters less so long as it fulfills the purpose of the image. The second important aspect to consider along with your intent is the expectation of the viewer. Are they expecting it to be a real and accurate representation of the subject? Will they feel deceived if they knew how the image was created? And would knowing how the image was created change the meaning behind it for the viewer? And would that change the value of the image? And the third aspect to consider is what are the consequences, especially the unintended consequences of your decision on the approach you've taken? So for instance, could it hurt anyone if it's misleading to them? Does it or could it compromise or damage a species or ecosystem? And this is something to keep in mind if you're considering re removing objects from a scene to clean it up a bit or adding things that aren't native to the ecosystem and then leaving them there. And also, does it affect the viewing public's perception of photography or their expectation of nature? And we've kind of seen this already a bit with Photoshop now being a verb with people saying, hey, has that been Photoshopped? And with Instagram and photo contests becoming bloated with more and more epic landscape images that don't actually exist. So I'll share where I fall on the scale of these questions around photo manipulation. My primary approach to photography is to attempt to convey my experience of nature as accurately as possible. 
You may say that I'm more of a straight photographer than a pictorialist. I don't use compositing in my work, although I do believe understanding how these techniques works is useful. And I do think playing around with new and different techniques is a good creative exercise. I do occasionally use focus stacking to increase depth of field, but the image files are always taken at the same scene at the same moment in time with the same settings, and I'm just changing my focal point. Although I take a somewhat purist approach to my photography, I would argue that what I create is not just a recording of a subject. My editing process actually starts at the time of capture because of the compositional choices I make about what to include and exclude, the decisions I make on how to best tell the story through different exposure techniques, the use of filters to slow the shutter speed, choices around focal length, depth of field, point of view, and so forth. So these decisions alone begin to create my interpretation of the scene rather than being simply a blatant recording of it. And then in the digital darkroom, I further refine the composition and how I want the viewer to experience the subject using basic photographic edits, such as color balance, adjusting the white and black points and balancing highlights and shadows, possibly cropping and things of that nature. I will often also use luminosity masking if the scene calls for it and dodging and burning. I will also clone out small distractions in the scene if they don't add to the story and could lead the viewer away from the main subject. In the field, I don't typically remove objects from a scene to clean it up, aside from maybe a small dead branch or so, or I may hold twigs back if they're in my way while I take a shot. But I will not pull anything out of the ground, cut anything back, or do anything along those lines that would be more than just a momentary change to the scene. And finally, I think photographers and digital artists alike should declare how their images are made, be it a single image, a composite, a photo montage, or digital art. You know, just like how you would at an exhibit where you would typically identify the kind of material and inks used to print that final image. I believe this would reduce confusion in the general public's understanding of how our art was made and thus aspects of its value. It would also help stave off comments like, that was photoshopped when it wasn't, or having people falsely believe something they saw in an image actually exists. Now, some people may say that we shouldn't have to declare anything about how the art was made, but that suggests that being ambiguous about the art form is part of the interpretation of it. And I personally want my images to stand on their own without that thread of ambiguity. It's sort of like truth in advertising. And in fact, this issue is so important that NAMPA, the, the North American Nature Photography Association, has issued a statement on truth in captioning. They state that, quote, Consistent, accurate image captioning facilitates three very important goals. One, educate the public and photo viewers about the context and intent of the image. Two, maintain public trust in the credibility of the image. And three, help to educate other photographers, unquote. In this document, NAPA provides guidance as to what sort of information would be helpful to include in captions, including how the image was edited. The categories they suggest are as shot, cleanup, manipulated, composite, multiple exposures, and effects. And I'll put a link in the show notes to this document for your reference, as well as links to other resources that I used to summarize the brief history on this topic. So NAPA is not saying that you should or should not use every editing tool available to you. They are just saying that we should identify how our images are created. So after doing research on this and considering my own opinions, I've concluded that perhaps a resolution to this debate is not what we should seek but rather a healthy philosophical discussion that helps us define our own approaches to photography and how we want to express ourselves through it. 
So how about you? Where do you draw the line between editing and manipulation? Or is there even a line to be drawn? Do you think that we should identify how our images have been created? Do you approach your photography as more of a pictorialist or as more of a straight photographer? And if you'd like to share your thoughts, you can post them in the comments section of the show notes, which again, you can find at outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash episode four. And remember, please keep it respectful. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this more philosophical tidbit Tuesday and for your submitted questions. As always, I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you have a question you'd like to have answered on a Tidbit Tuesday, all you have to do is click the link in the episode description on your podcast player or go to outdoorphotographyschool.com forward slash podcast and click the button to record your question. And I look forward to hearing from you. Next week, we have Brenda Tharp coming on the podcast to talk about her approaches to creativity and composition and how she shares her passion for the natural world through her images. And shortly after that, we'll meet wildlife conservation photographer, Jamie Heinbuch, who specializes in teaching photographers how to use their images to tell stories with impact. So be sure to follow the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on these great conversations. And if you're loving the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This is currently the best way to help others learn about the show, and I appreciate it so much. And I'll be back here next week. And so until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.